I invite you to turn with me then to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, page 1070 in your pew Bibles. You'll see the heading there, a new commandment, beginning at verse 31. We're going to read from verse 31 through verse 38. Jesus is in the upper room, and uh, he has already washed the disciples' feet, including Judas Iscariot. And Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he spoke of the betrayal of Judas and then commanded him, dip the bread in uh, the dish with Judas, and he ate it. And then in verse 30 we read, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out, and it was night. And then we pick up our reading at verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there's different times in the transition of the Word of God that we see what's sometimes called a testament. Sometimes you will talk about that in a last will and testament. And in these testaments, the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ, the leaders of Israel, speak to the people, I'm going to leave you now, I'm going to go the way of death, but while I'm gone... I want you to be encouraged in the faith. I want you to hold on to the truth of the calling that you have been given. I want you to love the Lord God and to choose whom you will serve. Moses did that there by the River Jordan. If you want to read that whole last testament, then you can read the book of Deuteronomy, but especially the last three chapters there where Moses even says to him, you're a stiff-necked people. I know what you're going to do, but don't do it. Hold on to the Lord. Love him, and he will bless you but I know who you are. Joshua, Joshua 21, he says, or 24, sorry, he says the same thing. He says, I know who you are. You are a stubborn and a stiff-necked people. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord, but you choose, choose whom you will serve. Because Moses and Joshua look forward and they see the day of Jesus. Prior to that, Jacob did it with his sons and giving the blessings. After that, David does it. In Chronicles, as he speaks to Israel about his time to move, and now it's Jesus' turn. And Jesus had been excited to have his men in the upper room, to have that last Passover with them, to have that Lord's Supper time with them, and to teach them, to make everything ready. And instead of beginning then with something sermonic, he begins with something that is more like a living and breathing parable. He washes the disciples' feet. Now, children... Just so you understand that, 
There's a, there's a great painting of the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci, and if, if you look at it, we have some problems with it. The Apostle John looks a whole lot like a woman, and da Vinci painted himself in that painting. But there's one thing really wrong about that painting is that everybody's sitting at a table like the head table at a wedding. Well, that's not how Jesus was sitting with his men. He would have been sitting in a U around couches, and they would have had then their head leaning in the left hand, leaning on their hips and outward, so that Jesus then here at this level could wash their feet. Now, normally their feet should have been washed already, no one had made plans for that, and certainly none of the disciples were going to clean the feet of each other. One another was beneath them, and they were horrified when Jesus did it. Lord, you can't do that. You're, you're our Lord. You're our King. This is not how things are supposed to be. And then Jesus says, no, but I must do that. I have washed you and you are clean, all but one of you. I must continue to wash your feet in the sense that even though our sins are forgiven, we continue to sin and he says, as I have done, so also you have done. So it's not necessarily that we have to have foot washing services before the Lord's Supper or like on Monday, Thursday, that the popes and the archbishops of the Roman Catholic Church wash each other's feet. What Jesus is saying, there are times when you will need to wash somebody's feet. Some of you do it with your aged parents. Some of you do it with people whom you love and you take care of them. But it means much more than that. It means to love them, to take care of them, to make sure that you would never be so arrogant or egotistical that you would assert your own position over against the needs of somebody else's position. Jesus saying, I love you, men, And I want you to know how much I love you. And I want you to do the same. And then we have Judas Iscariot, who's sitting there in that room, and Judas Iscariot acts like nothing's happening. Even when Jesus begins to talk about the betrayal, which is really a remarkable thing because Jesus is vexed in his spirit. He's troubled. It's the same language that we read when he was at the graveside of Lazarus. It, it, it's, an, it's an anger that is like the snorting of a horse. That, that in the depth of him, he, he's... He's angry at the situation in a holy way. He is aware of the situation that sin has brought of sin and death, and in this case, betrayal. His own friend, who for three years has worked with him, is now going to betray him. And yet Judas Iscariot was created for that day, and yet Judas Iscariot is responsible for what he's going to do. And Jesus doesn't dissuade Judas Iscariot. He says, now you go do what you need to do because the hour has come. And when Jesus speaks of the hour in the Gospel of John, it means it's time for him to go to the cross. So then we read that Judas Iscariot walked out and it was night. It was night, it was the evening, it was after dark. But it was also night because night had come upon the land and we go back to that prologue of John in the beginning was the word and the word was the light and the light came into the world, but the world did not receive it. The world wants to put out that light. The word is God made flesh and his own did not receive him when he came to his own. And now we see all of that coming together because all things are working together for the good of those who love him, you. Jesus' servant, Jesus' disciple is going to betray him so you and I can get saved. So that you and I might have our sins washed away. That you and I might have the complete washing that he can give. 
that continual foot washing that he gives because he is the servant. He is the one who makes himself less. And in that we find authority. And in that we find power. And in that we find the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ who loved his enemy. The apostle Paul wrote, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Well, he fed Judas. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Well, he gave him the cups of wine and he washed him. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus exhibits his love there in the upper room and Judas must respond to it. And we read that he walks into the night. Peter is going to respond to it. And though he's going to deny Jesus three times, he's going to walk into the day. How do we understand all of that? Because the story isn't first of all about Judas, and it's not first of all about Peter, and it's not first of all about you and me. It's about God's love to us in Jesus Christ, who is now going to go where no one else can go, and no one can follow. First of all, we'll see then the command to love, and then we will see also Peter's denial revealed. The command to love revealed, Jesus then can finally speak to the men. He's got the 11. He's got to get them ready for when he goes. Now, there's different senses of when he goes and where he's going to go. He's going to go to the cross. And he's going to hang on that cross. And he's going to go to death. And he's going to suffer condemnation. He is going to suffer the perfectly righteous for the perfectly unrighteous. He is going to suffer the torments of hell, which are going to dry from him, wring from him the cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we answered, because Jesus, we needed you to do it because of our sin. Our sin is clinging to you. You're dying for us. We can't go there. The disciples cannot go there. Peter cannot go there. But Jesus must go there so that the complete washing that we need, not with water and not with a cloth, but with the blood of the Lamb of God, that and that only can take away the sins of the world. He and he only can do it. He is the one that we need, beloved. He is the great one. He is the glorious one. And then here we have what we call the Johannine irony, the irony of John, the paradoxes of John, or the antithesis of John. And what we mean by that is this. We would normally see glory as anything but hanging on a cross. We would see that as, as a paradox. How can Jesus say he's being glorified when he's talking about hanging on the cross? And do you understand what the cross is? That the world, that the Jews, that the leadership of the Jews... That the word of God cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. Jesus is considered to be so bad, so heinous, so terrible, so sinful, so disgusting that there's no other punishment for him. Jail isn't good enough. Whipping isn't good enough. Hanging isn't good enough. He needs to hang on a tree. Lord, we're handing him over to you that you may judge him because in our humanness we don't have a judgment deep enough or severe enough. And in that moment, Jesus will be judged to be less than human, outside of the law, not able to be in the temple, not able to be in Jerusalem, but on the hill of the skull. That's where there's a place, and even that 
he is considered unworthy of. And they will hang him in that. And yet Jesus says, now is the son of man glorified. Now, when I washed your feet, I am glorified. No, Lord, don't wash our feet. This is not what leaders do. This is not what kings do. In this, my father is glorified, Jesus says. In my servanthood, my father gets the glory that you would glorify him. See, I talked to the Jews about these things, but the Jews did not listen. The Jews were put on this earth, given the covenant, given the law, given love, given the promised land, given the temple, all of it, that they would glorify me. And they turned to legalism. And they lost their love for me. And they lost their love for one another. They wanted power. They wanted David. They wanted Solomon. They wanted the trappings of Rome. They wanted a a Caesar who rides in on a white charging steed, not some, some Jesus of Nazareth who walks on the foal of a colt on a donkey that's never been ridden. Not some king who wipes the feet of his disciples, even rabbis would never do that. In this, my father is glorified. And in this, me, Jesus says, going now to the cross, going to Golgotha, hanging there between earth and heaven, hanging in the midst of hell, my father is glorified. And if my father is glorified and I and the father are one, then I am glorified. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. And the word was with God. Jesus and the father are one. He's going to pray that later at the end of this. He's going to, from now, from verse 1331, right to the end of chapter 16, tell the disciples what needs to take place. And then in chapter 17, he prays, I pray, Father, that all may know that you and I are one, that they are one, and that all of us together are one. I need all to know, Father in heaven, that I go to the cross, that you glorify me, because I bring glory to you. Last night for a while, I watched the NHL All-Star game. Now there's another kind of glory. It's the only glory Toronto will ever get in terms of hockey, but that's another story. But you look at it and you watch the trappings and then, oh, we have the great stars behind the bench. I had to look up two of them. I didn't know they were stars, but apparently they are. And then you see these women dancing, like in the courts of kings of old, not wearing all that much and dancing in ways that are not appropriate for kids at least to be watching. This is glory. This is the glory of the world, of limousines and jets going to Davos, of parliament buildings and of robes and of crowns. This is what the world believes is glory of money, of pomp, and of circumstances. And if we're honest about it, don't we share it a little bit? Don't we all want to drive a nicer car, better truck, nicer home, better savings account? Don't all you young single men want a gorgeous wife? Don't all of you young women, I was going to say, I want someone who looks like me, but probably not. You want what the world says is beautiful. You want what the world says is glorious. It gets in our head. 
who dresses the women of the world? New York and Paris, men who don't even like women. But that's the glory of the world. How different is Jesus? How different is this Jesus who loves the most unlovable woman ever, the bride of Christ? And I will wash your feet. Every brother in here who's married, think about that. That's what we're supposed to do, to serve our wives. I was talking with an elder. I said, this is the perfect sermon, right? Washing the feet, and we can tell the women, you need to do more. No. Men, we need to. We need to show our families we love them. Elders, that's what it takes. Deacons, that's what Jesus Christ is asking for, that God may be glorified. In this is our glory, that we would bring glory to Jesus Christ and his way of life and his way of seeing the world and what he has done. What brings glory to God? The cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Philippians chapter 2. Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ. It's about him. It's about God. It's about the other. And if you really want to love yourself, that's the way you're going to go. That's the way you're going to be. In this, I am glorified. In this, my Father is glorified. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Isn't that beautiful language, verse 33? Little children. It's the only time it's used in any of the Gospels, and it's only used by John. But in his letters, he uses it very often, especially in the first letter. Little children. And the setting there, the understanding of that is, at, at the Passover father or the oldest son when he got to that age would be asked by the youngest son father brother what is the Passover about and then he would start little children and he would tell the story Jesus at this point has become our father remember Isaiah 9 verse 6 for unto us a child is born and what will his name be called everlasting father in Isaiah chapter 53, what do we read there? Who can speak of his descendants? Little children, my brothers, the 11 of you. You're immature, you don't know, you don't understand yet, but I love you. And I need you to understand. I need you to understand that where I am going, you cannot come. And so now I give you a new commandment. What then can you do? If you can't come with me to the cross, what then shall we do? Now, it seems odd a little bit, right? A new commandment? You've heard it this morning, I'm sure, with the law. From Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This isn't new, but it is new in Jesus Christ. There is something new that's going to happen because Judaism at that time has robbed the law of love. See, what happens with legalism and under the Pharisees is I love being right, I love the law more than I love love. It's about me, about me getting myself saved, about what I do and about what you think of me. But now Jesus is saying, as I washed your feet, I want you men to love. I want you men to take care of each other. On this earth, we are going to move in this transition away from Israel, and you are going to be my representatives on the earth. And then by extension, that is the Providence congregation. 
So I asked Zion this morning, and I'll ask you now. If we would walk around the neighborhood, if we would walk around the community, and I would ask them about Providence, United Reformed Church, would they say, yeah, I know them because they love one another. I know them because of how they take care of one another. I hope so. I think in some ways, I think often we're at our best at a funeral or a wedding or at the hospital. It's been said about our churches that we're very good keeping churches. That if you come, we'll take care of you and we'll keep you. But are we good getting churches? Can we love the community? Can we love those in government that are very hard to love? Do we forget how difficult it must be for God to love us if we look at ourselves? Are we the community of love? It's a new command. It's a new way of being. Are we the foot washers? Are we the servants? Are we the ones who will humble ourselves and even be humiliated for the sake of the glory of God, understanding that in that would be our glory? As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Going to church twice, it's good. Our liturgies are just so good. We sing the right kind of music, good. We have catechism preaching. We teach the catechism to our, our children and we're, and we're making sure that we are involved in Christian education, excellent. But what would Paul say? If you have all of these things but you have not love, then you are a banging gong. You are a thumping drum. You're a lot of noise and a lot of bluster and a lot of busyness, but it means nothing. It's good to be reminded again of how loved we are by Jesus, because that's where it has to start. We can command it, but Jesus says, as I loved you, love me. I know the law starts that way too. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage, therefore, Love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Therefore, love your neighbor as yourself. True. But now we have it in a very palpable, beautiful way. Little children. Who are the children of God? John chapter 1 tells us. Not children born of a husband or a father's will, but of the heavenly father's will. The little children of God are the ones that God so loved that he sent his son to die for them. That the little children can sing then of their Christ on the cross as we all must sing. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love for me. That we can sing together after this sermon, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. If we cannot sing this, then it's meaningless. Then we're playing church. But if we live out of this love, we are church. Glory to God in the highest. One last point and then we move on. But it is interesting that when Jesus is born, the Magi are coming and they're bringing gifts and the shepherds are coming and they're singing accolades and in heaven the angels are singing glory to God in the highest. We must and be willing to do that at the cross. Because in time, beloved, we will, if we are not already, are going to suffer slander and persecution and humiliation. 
Jesus says, this is all going to happen to you men. This is going to happen to you, not because of anything you are doing, but because they see you in me. The world hates Jesus if they see the love in you. Isn't that interesting? And the more they see the love of Christ in you, the more they will hate you, and others will run to you. Love one another, that your joy may be full. No, you cannot go where I am going. That is a love that's reserved for me on your behalf. But what I ask of you is, as I love you, love one another. The command of love is to be revealed. Peter rises up and says to him, Lord, where are you going? Peter still isn't getting it. Peter is still materialistic in his view of the kingdom. Lord, where are you going? He kind of understands it, right, because of what he says. He says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Are you going to die? When they came back to get Lazarus, then it was Thomas who said, well, we may as well go with them and die with him there. Judas Iscariot actually gets it, that Jesus is going to die. He's going to cut his losses. I'll get my money out of this. I may as well turn him in because this is a dead-end street. If I want earthly glory, it's not happening with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter is still banking on it. Jesus, wash all of me. Jesus, don't wash my feet. Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. And you know, children, do you know what Peter is saying? He, He means well. Peter's trying to be a good man who loves the Lord Jesus. And if he really loved the Lord Jesus, what he'd be doing is run after Judas Iscariot. But instead, he's being used by Satan to tempt Jesus. In the same way that we see that temptation in the wilderness. Make the stones bread, obey me. You can have all the kingdoms of the world, Satan said. They're mine to give you, just follow me. You don't have to go to the cross. And now again, I will die for you. You will die for me, Peter. Peter is denying his own need for washing. Peter is denying his need for love, his need to be loved, his need for salvation, his need for redemption, his need to have his sins forgiven. He needs, you and I need Jesus to go to the cross. And every time we try to do it with works, every time we try to do it with something that we're going to add to the equation, it's the same thing. Love him. He's got to do what he needs to do. Peter, don't you understand? And I find this whole whole situation interesting. And I think it's good to think about because I think most of you, like me, have grown up in a church. Some of you have been for 25 years in this church, baptized in this church, members of this church. What does that mean? We call that the covenant, the covenant community. We belong to the covenant community. The next week you hope to see a baptism and that that child is being baptized because he belongs in the covenant. But is that the same thing as being saved? So you have Judas Iscariot who went to church his whole life, likely, chosen by Jesus, walks with Jesus for three years, is in the upper room, gets fed with Jesus, has the Lord's Supper with Jesus, has his feet washed by Jesus, and he rejects the love of Christ to him. And he goes the way of the night. He goes the way of death. And Peter, who goes to church his whole life, walks with Jesus for three years, is fed by Jesus, is washed by Jesus, is there in the upper room with Jesus, is going to deny Jesus three times. Before the rooster crows, this is in the next hours. And yet he will be saved. 
by the grace and the activity of almighty God. I, I think of that of Abraham and his two boys, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac, the son of promise. Ishmael, the son of night. The son that goes to hell. Isaac has two boys. Jacob, I have loved God, said. Esau, I have hated even when they're in the womb. And then we see David and Saul. Saul of Benjamin, David of Judah. Saul falls short. God withdraws his spirit, gives him a holy spirit. Saul, we figure as he ends his whole own life in tragedy and misery, goes the way of the night. And David, cheating, murdering, lying, stealing, repents and goes the way of the day and glory. Why is that? Because of God's activity in their life. Because of Jesus' death for them. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you praise him. Then you understand that he has done that great work. We're all responsible to love this Jesus. We must love this Jesus. We must not walk away with Judas Iscariot. But even us who walk in the way of faith and in our immature faith are so quick to deny him. So quick to, to walk away from him. And yet for his chosen and his elect, he will be saved. Jesus has already spoken that in John chapter 10. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And this God is glorified too. And in Luke, we read that Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. Yes, Peter, you, you cannot go where I am going right now. But I will come back for you. I will restore you. And then you will go the way of the martyr's death. We read at the end of the book of John. And the church legend is, is that Peter was crucified upside down because he wanted to bring glory to Christ. I'm not sure if that's true, but many believe that it is. Peter was going to have a difficult life. Peter was going to be raised to glory as a leader of the church, and by the end of the book of Acts, we don't even hear about him, and the apostle Paul is the one that we hear about, but Peter will be restored. Peter will be used by Almighty God. I think again of Jesus talking to the men who want to be seated, one on his right and one of his left. Are you willing to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Are you willing to go the way of the cross? Oh yeah. No. No, you can't and yes, yet, sorry, yes you will. As all of these disciples except for John will die a difficult death after a very difficult life. <clears throat> John himself will be exiled to Patmos. Can you drink the cup that I will drink? Jesus asked them, oh yes, yeah, you will. To the bitter dregs. Are you willing to drink the cup, beloved? Are you willing to be baptized with that baptism? Because this is our calling. This is what it means when we sing of our Redeemer. When we say, my Jesus, I love thee. This is what happens when we love one another and that love spills over into the world that no matter what, we will show that love and we will speak of that love. We will commit to that love no matter what because of what God has done for us in Jesus. How loved are you? 
1 Corinthians 13. For then, for now we see in a, in a glass dimly, we look into this opaque mirror and it's blurry. But when we die or Jesus Christ comes again for us, then we'll go, oh, how loved are we? Jesus washing us, Jesus foot washing us, Jesus dying for us, Jesus resurrecting for us. If you keep reading John, Jesus preparing a place for us. Who is more loved than you? And yet we're so much more willing to talk about the hockey game or the state of Canada or the economy. But when is the last time we've spoken about that great truth? Fathers, this week, take some time at the dinner table and say, little children, let me tell you about the Passover of God. Let me tell you not only about the love of Jesus, but let your children know that you are loved. Do your children know how you got saved, men? Grandfathers, uncles, elders, when you come into our house, do we know how you got saved? And of course, women too. That's, that's a power in our life. The wonder that Jesus would humiliate himself and die so that we might taste and share of his glory. Hallelujah. What a savior. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. In love, I will love thee in life and I will love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death do lies cold in my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Sing it with your heart and sing it to the day you die. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need to love you more. Help our unbelief, Father. Let us not, like Judas, walk out of this building into the night. Let us walk into the light. And, and Father, when we fall short as Peter did, restore us, please. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love, his mercy, his compassion. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would send that love to us and bring our prayers to the Father and send your spirit into our hearts at any here who are struggling with that love, who are wondering, are they worthy of that love? That they would know that no one is worthy of that love except that you are a worthy and gracious God who gives to us what we don't deserve. Thank you, Father, for a husband who loves his bride so wonderfully, so sacrificially. And Father, we pray as brothers that you'd help us to love that way, the women and the people in this congregation. And so, Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless us now and keep us as we head out into the week, that we may serve and live for Jesus the life that is true striving to please him in all that we do. Such love constrains us to answer the call. In his name alone we pray, amen.